0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Well, on this episode of the Tree Cast, we've got this and that. A little something for everyone. A little football and a little football. That's what we do here on the Tree Cast. It's something for every Stanford fan, and we bring it to you better than anybody else on the Tree Cast with Troy Clarity. On the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online. Thursday, November the 10th, 2022. Hope it's a good one for you and thank you for joining us on the program. Hi, I'm Troy Clarity, host of this show since 2015. Follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity, last misspelled C L A R D Y. Pac 12 Network play by play announcer, Compass Media Network's football play by play announcer on the national radio side in my 30th year of following Stanford football. And we are going to have two special guests. One talking football as the Cardinal hop on the plane and head to Salt Lake this week to try to get a win against the Utah Utes. And they'll be doing so with an inside linebacking core that's in pretty intriguing shape as the three starting inside linebackers all injured. One coming into that Washington State game and the other two... By the end of the... Actually, just two plays in. How has it been for that crew getting ready for this week against the Utes? We'll talk with Stanford linebackers coach Eric Sanders. Looking forward to getting his thoughts on getting the guys ready to face the Utah Utes. And our second special guest on this week's show we will talk a little soccer with one of the legends and one of the best soccer coaches in the business, Paul Ratcliffe, as he is... Won three national championships with the Stanford Cardinal. Stanford women's soccer begins its postseason on Friday when they host San Jose State, the three seed Cardinal versus the San Jose State Spartans. So we'll get Paul Radcliffe's thoughts. I always enjoy catching up with them. Hadn't really done as many soccer games on the Pac 12 network this fall as I usually do, but uh, always great to catch up with Paul Radcliffe, a really cool dude and get his thoughts um, on the task ahead for Stanford women's soccer. So Eric Sanders talking football, and Paul Ratcliffe talking soccer. But we'll begin the show by sticking to football and take you back to last year for a moment when Utah thumped Stanford 52-7, to rolled up 441 yards rushing on the card, probably the lowest point in a tough 2021 season. Well, this year, Stanford has to head to Salt Lake cardinal linebacker tristan sinclair on how last year's result has impacted this year's approach to this matchup for
1: stanford the thing i remember most about last game was just like that was a violent physical team um those guys came in and you know that's like what they're all about is violence and aggression they want to run the ball they want to like run it straight downhill at right at you and just see who's tougher um i think that we know that we're aware of that this year and uh definitely been at at practice, like trying to be violent, trying to be intentional, hit the sled extra, um, just being ready mentally and physically uh, for just a fist fight because I think that's what it's going to be.
0: Yeah, Stanford will try to land some blows and knock out the Utes this Saturday, and it does indeed promise to be a heavyweight fight. Some considerations to take into account for Saturday's contest and a 7 p.m. Pacific Time kick on uh, the on the on the West Coast. We'll do that in three things that you need to know about Stanford football coming up in just a moment. But first, a reminder that basketball is back and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online, And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's start this show with three things you need to know about Stanford football as it gets ready to face Utah. Let's begin with number (laughs) one. Well, as we hinted at a few minutes ago, Stanford lost its two starting linebackers and its two starting safeties all on Washington State's first drive last week. This week, linebackers Ricky Miazon and Lavani Demuni, safety Kendall Williamson, and safety slash nickelback Patrick Fields all declared questionable by David Shaw during Shaw's weekly press conference on Tuesday. Shaw mentioned that he'd know a bit more on Wednesday. By the time you hear this, the respective status of those four guys for Saturday night's might be a bit more clear, but as it stands, as I say this, Tristan Sinclair is one of the last linebackers standing.
1: How's he been getting ready for the week ahead? So I've just been pre- preparing, uh, like I'm starting this game, and um, I think that's what, the way that the rest of the guys have been approaching this week as well. um So just being ready for whatever, and obviously, you know, guys went down last game, and, and other guys stepped up, and we're ready to go. So I think we're just always kind of trying to prepare. Um, Like we're ready to go and get in there. And we'll
0: discuss this a bit more with Stanford linebackers coach Eric Sanders. We should also note injury-wise that running back Brendan Barrow is out this week. And running back Caleb Robinson, who'd been hopeful this week after getting, you heard, at UCLA, is not on the depth chart. So Mitch Lieber, the converted safety, is the only running back on Stanford's depth chart this week. Now the injury news, not all bad for Stanford. Here's an update on offensive tackles
2: Jack Lair and Connor McLaughlin. Jack and Connor are both up. Um, they'll both travel uh, they're both ready to go if called upon thankfully this is about the healthiest our offensive line has been in a month and a half uh, which is great um, so we're, we're full, full, uh, full go on the offensive line both with our starters and um, uh, and really really, we got nine guys ready to go so that, that's, a, that's been one of their positives in the last couple of weeks hey
0: there you go positive stuff who says it's all gloom and doom out there Let's move on to number two. And it can get a little chilly in Salt Lake City in November, especially for a night game, an 8 p.m. local time kickoff. And at last check, the forecast for Saturday in Salt Lake, partly cloudy during the day with a high of 44, game time temperatures dropping into the 30s. Brr. Stanford wide receiver John Humphreys on whether the cold weather is a big factor for the student-athletes. Once
1: you get into the game, it's you, you're not really thinking about it you're you're in the game you're um you know you're warm you're just adrenaline's gone and it, it doesn't really phase you too much so um it's more the leak leading up to it like dang i you know i haven't you know been in this cold of weather in a while but once once you're you know you're playing and the stadium's loud you know you're playing in a ton of fans just the adrenaline going out doesn't really phase phases too much that's
0: john humphreys who we should probably note is originally from newport beach Has it ever gotten into the 30s down there? It probably has, but it's probably been a while.
2: David Shaw's take on the expected weather conditions for Saturday night. Cold is better than rain. Um, You know, cold is just cold. You just got to put enough on. Um, A lot of times it's worse for the coaches because we're not running around than it is for the guys. The guys get a chance to break a sweat and run full speed and keep themselves warm. Um, You know, and snow is better than rain. So a cold, snowy day. Um, it's you know that's that's not an issue. Uh, rain is more of an issue than either one of those. So the fact it'll be cold, um, you know, it's 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 turf that should be good footing. Um, you know, it's 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 just a matter of wearing enough layers. Yep,
0: bundle up. Let's finish off three things with number three. And given how Utah has played so far this year, given how Stanford has largely fared so far this year, and given the site and potential conditions of this game. The Carter decided underdog in this one. I, I don't know what the line is. Please don't ask me that kind of stuff. I never keep track. I'm sure our friends have been Online have the hookup on that info. John Humphreys on whether being a big underdog is a big deal to the team.
1: As a team, we don't really pay too much attention to, you know, what people say on the outside. Um, I think um, our mentality every week um, stays the same in, in the way that we attack the week. And, um, you know, the goal every week is, is to win. We're not, you know, so... So we're, the mentality hasn't changed. Um, we don't really pay too much attention to you know, what's, what's on Twitter, what people are saying outside. Um, you know, we just kind of come back on Monday, regroup, learn from our mistakes, and, and try to prepare um, and do what, it, do, what it, do what needs to be done throughout the week to you know, put a good um, result out there on Saturday and get the win.
0: That's John Humphreys. Meanwhile, David Shaw on whether he wants to see his team takes the nobody-believes-in-us route and use it as fuel for this week.
2: Uh, I'll take anything I can get right now. Um, so uh, whether guys are, are fired up and motivated to go win or the guys think, hey, it's us against the world, uh, we'll take all that. Um, we got to go in and not be shy and not 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 tiptoe into the stadium. Uh, we got to go in there face first um, and give it the best effort that we have. So whatever motivation, uh, individually, collectively, uh, we, we can come up with. That's what we're going to need to do. Uh, we're going to have to play one of our better games uh, of the year, uh, particularly in the last three weeks. Got to play our best game that we've played in a month uh, to give ourselves a chance.
0: Yeah, whatever it takes, right? And, and look, Stanford can come in on emotion and pride, and that's fine. But yeah, in football, that usually lasts only about a quarter or so. After that, matchups and execution and scheme take over. And that's where Stanford's got to find a way to win. Those are three things. We'll get back to football in a moment as we will catch up with Cardinal inside linebackers coach Eric Sanders later on in the program. But with Stanford football and college football, you know, starting to wrap up its regular season and college football getting ready for its postseason as the CFP rankings have have been announced yet again. College women's soccer is already in postseason mode. Selection Sunday was earlier this week. Stanford, of course, is in the NCAA tournament, and they will begin by hosting San Jose State, the champions out of the Mountain West Conference, on Friday night, 7 p.m. kickoff at Kagan Stadium. The winner of that match hosts the BYU-Utah Valley winner on Sunday. Well, a guy who is preparing Stanford to go on its road, hopefully to another college cup, And hey, even hopefully to hoisting another national championship, which will be its fourth under the head coach for Stanford Women's Soccer in his 20th year running the program and has delivered Stanford 10 Pac-12 championships, including one that was just claimed last week. Paul Ratcliffe joining us on the TreeCast. Paul, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I
3: appreciate you having me, Troy.
0: You bet. Always a pleasure to catch up with you in chat. And uh, congratulations on Pac-12 title number 10. What Thank did it you. take to get this one in hand?
3: Ooh, it was a journey. Um, really proud of the team. I thought they had a fantastic season overall. Regular season has been incredible. And when you look at how it started our first Pac-12 game, we actually lost at USC. So the character of the team showed to bounce back from that loss and then we ran the table. We didn't lose again. We, we tied our final game. But other than that, we didn't lose again, um, which is a testament to the character of the team because when you take that loss in the first game, it does rattle your confidence a little bit. But I uh, couldn't be more proud of the team. They've done an amazing job. And uh, we had not won a Pac-12 title since 2019. So absolutely incredible feeling to be back on top again and so happy the team could uh, take a little time to celebrate that. So it was a, a meaningful moment for us. You nice
0: know, for the Cardinal to be able to check off that box, one that they've checked off many times over the years. And I'm sure there were a lot of boxes that you wanted this team to check off. Let's go back to before the season coming in to this season and off of a 2021 campaign that you know they made the NCAA tournament, lost in the first round. And you and I talked about this early in the season. You said, "Hey, that was a that was a solid campaign by most people's standards, but but not necessarily up to the standards of this program." What was on the checklist for? getting things together for this season and what were some of the big challenges that you had to pose and had to fight and had to find your way through uh to get ready for this season
3: yeah well you know 2021 was a tough year for us um there were a lot a lot of things going on you know off the field for us um and the team came together and really did a good job of supporting each other and helping each other and you know we wanted this to be a special year so that we could do well. Um, so we built on the 2021 was a solid year, but this year we want to be a, a lot better. And I think everyone really bonded together, um, support each other and really worked hard and they've been dedicated to the task and, and they've made it an extraordinary year. So I think it was more just the team coming together and really being dedicated and having the determination necessary to have a successful year. So I think those are the most important things, but we did train hard in the spring and tried to improve and get better. And I think you're seeing the the rewards of that right now.
0: Yeah, and it also doesn't hurt when you have a, a fantastic freshman class that has contributed as much as it has uh, to this year's squad. Elise Evans, the center back, uh, freshman of the year this season in the Pac-12. Lumi Kosmeyer, so dynamic, uh, leads the team in scoring. Ali Montoya, fantastic flash, although she has been injured of late. And uh, Jasmine Icke has been pretty steady as well. well. What did you think was fair to expect from those freshmen? coming into this year and did they over-deliver
3: yeah they definitely over-delivered I, I never try to have too many expectations on the freshman because it is a transition to play collegiate soccer it's a lot more physical the speed of play is a lot faster um it's very demanding obviously with the amount of training we do and the amount of games we play in a season compared to club soccer where it's a little bit more spread out so it is difficult um, and something I do pride myself on is trying to make sure that the older players really bring them along and help them and mentor them. And I think we've had some incredible leadership from our captains on our team um, with Maya Doms, Kennedy Wesley and Sierra Engay. I think they've done a great job of helping the freshmen grow um, and develop and giving them a big part of the, the role on the team or a big role on the team. Um, and and then the freshmen. Fantastic. I mean. To to step up like they had to the play the amount of minutes and make the impact they're making. Lumi with all the goals she scored, she's I think she's our leading goal scorer. And then Elise Evans getting freshman of the year as a central defender, and Jasmine Akey. I could go on and on with all the freshmen. Ali Montoya. Um, they they were truly remarkable, and they've been a big part of our success this year. There's no doubt about it.
0: Maya Doms uh, has been so much fun to watch uh, in the midfield. You just mentioned her uh, over the course of uh, her career. How would you sum up her season to this point?
3: Yeah, Maya is incredible. Um, the thing about Maya that people, that I think separates her is she's not just a great attacking player. She's also a great defensive player. She is great with transition, both sides of the ball. And her work rate, she's, she's just a phenomenal player and a joy to coach. Um, she just received all Pac-12 first team which was well-deserved honor. Um, but yeah, I can't say enough about Maya, what she does for our team. And then off the field, her leadership. And how everyone really loves her and adores her. and she, They look up to her as a role model um, because no one works harder. She really works hard to be the best player she can be and puts everything out there on the field for the team and not just for herself, but for our teammates. I, I kind of like what Maya told the
0: Stanford Daily uh, earlier in this season. I'm paraphrasing here. I mean, some people might think I have a short fuse, but that's because, that's because I care a lot. <laughs> I think we've seen that at times uh, on the pitch out there a little
3: bit. Yeah, no, Maya. And and that's the thing that separates Maya, too, is her competitive spirit. She competes and she wants to win. She wants to be successful. And that's really important because at this level, we're the highest level of women's soccer, probably at our age level for collegiate soccer. Um, it's the highest level and you have to be really competitive to be successful. And Doms definitely brings that competitive edge and it's great for the other players to learn that because that's what it takes. You have to be a great competitor. You can't be just a talented player. You also have to be a great competitor.
0: So much attention on the freshmen and on Maya Doms. Who are some of the other maybe unsung players who have made big contributions to the squad this year, but maybe haven't quite gotten as much attention as perhaps they've earned based
3: on what they've done this season? It's a great question troy and the thing i've been telling people is when you look at this team it's a really well-balanced team and we're getting contributions from all over the place um you know julia leontini has been an unsung hero for me in midfield she's been phenomenal um paige rubenstein i mean phenomenal outside backs her senior year but when i look through the whole squad and i look at the stats for the entire year We have about 11 players with real significant stats that have done exceptionally well. And then beyond those 11, there's three or four more for sure that are impactful. And then I would say the entire squad, which is the level of training that they put in, pushing the others to be the best they can be. So it really takes the entire group. We have to have every single player locked in, um, contributing in a positive way and really working hard. And I think this year we've really done that. And that's the only way to win the Pac-12 championship and get into the playoffs. So it's a credit to the entire squad. Um, But yeah, there's so many players on this team that I could single out that have been phenomenal. And through the year, I think it's been each game, there's been a, a star player that stepped up, whether it was Allie Montoya or, you know, Catherine Polson stepping up and scoring the winning goal or Sam Williams. I mean, you go through the whole squad. I can think of each game, a different player stepping up. Um, you know, Ryan Campbell goal, stepping up against UCLA big to to beat them. You, you go through every game. There were big players or big moments for each player through the team.
0: Yeah, Samantha Williams is just so much fun to watch, so much speed and so much skill. She's just an absolute handful out there uh, for opposing Absolutely. defenders to try to handle her here a little bit. Um, so much has been made about in college sports you know the transfer portal nil all those sorts of things but most of the attention has been faced has been placed on football men's basketball and maybe to a lesser extent on, on women's basketball as as well what has been the effect that you've noticed so far on the as, as far as the transfer portal and and nil on women's soccer to this point and its effect on the program to this point too
3: yeah, um, well, I think that NIL is obviously fantastic for the student athletes to give them more opportunities. I think we're just starting to see the beginning of that curve. Um, so, you know, I think it's great. You know, the more success we have and the more opportunities for, you know, women's sports is incredible. So I'm a big fan of the name, image, and likeness, and I hope we can have more of our student athletes capitalizing on those opportunities moving forward. So I think that's been a positive for our team and for for women's soccer. Um the transfer portal uh is is an interesting thing. Um you know I I, I don't think it's ever great to be transferring around and hopping around from school to school because whatever things you're struggling with at that current school then you try to tr- transfer somewhere else and get out of those struggles usually the same things come up. Um, so, you know, I'm not a big fan of everyone transferring around. That's how I look at it. Um, but obviously, if it's right for certain, for that person, then you support it um, and it's good for them. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it plays out in the future. The whole transfer portal thing, it's, it's kind of like the wild, wild west. People are moving around a lot. And uh, yeah, we got to get used to that. But my hope, obviously, is to bring student athletes in and be able to train them for a few years and really help them grow. I'm not trying to capitalize on a player coming in as just a senior and playing one season and doing well for us. I really enjoy the teaching component and helping people grow and seeing how they grow over four years. So that's my hope is to bring in really top student athletes and then help them grow through time and then see them flourish is my hope. but if there is a great one out there on the transfer portal, I got to be open to that and look at it. But right now, it's not something I'm really keying in on. I'd rather bring in a great freshman class like we did this year and really help them grow. And I think that'll be the foundation for our team for the next, you know, three years for sure.
0: Yeah, that that certainly that approach has certainly worked out uh, for this season to this point. Uh, one of the more intriguing subplots, I think, up and down the Pac-12 has been. Marguerite Alzasa, you're a former assistant now at UCLA, just named Pac-12 Coach of the Year, and Hideki Nakata, a former assistant of yours at Utah, as well. So you've kind of got a little bit of a coaching tree happening um, in the Pac-12. When you sit down and think about that, I mean, how do you how do you kind of react to having a little a little coaching tree up and down the Pac-12 at this point?
3: Yeah, well, and I also have Nicole Van Dyke at University of Washington. That's right. That's well. right. She was my assistant when we won the championship in 2011. So that's how old i'm getting troy that uh <laughs> we forget all these coaches have come through um yeah obviously it's a great sense of pride for me um i love coaching and teaching and i've had some fantastic assistant coaches my current assistant coaches are incredible paul hart and melissa charlo and then daisy um as our volunteer coach she's amazing so I really feel blessed that we we are attracting great assistant coaches. I learned from them and I hope they learn from me as well. Um, but it's awesome to see Marguerite at, at the highest level. She's the number one team in the nation this year for most of the season. Um, Hideki's doing a great job at Utah and then Nicole's doing a great job at Washington. Uh, so I, I'm really proud of them and uh, it makes me really feel good to see people going on and and helping other programs and doing well. And they're obviously all really close friends of mine. So I'm really happy to see my friends doing well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool to see. Um, all right, here we go. It's tournament time. Uh, the bracket was announced um, on Monday afternoon, Stanford, the sixth seed. What is tournament time overall? What does it mean to you? I mean, how does, you know, what, what does anything change? that things get ratcheted up? I mean, from an emotional standpoint, tactical standpoint, what does this time of year
3: mean to you? Yeah, I mean, the thing I would try to relate to my team is it's business as usual. Um, you know, we it's new season now. It all starts fresh. Uh, each game is single elimination, so you have to win to advance. Um, so I do think the intensity matches up a little bit. But most importantly, we've got to realize that we've grown a lot through the season. And all those lessons we've learned through each and every game, we've got to implement those now and show how far we've come. And now it's all extra time and and a bonus. And ultimately, we want to keep the season going for our seniors. That This will be their last chance playing collegiate soccer. So I think we're playing for all of our seniors, and we want to extend the season as long as we can and hopefully win a national championship. So that's kind of always our focus. Um, we got to take it one game at a time, though. Can't get ahead of yourself. So we have to be ready for this Friday night against San Jose State. Play our best that we can. Leave everything on the field. If we're fortunate enough to get a positive result, we advance, we prepare for the next opponent. Um, But we can't get looking forward. We've just got to look at each game and do our best. And then I'll be proud of the team. If they give their all and we really get after it, uh, leave everything on the field, then we have nothing to, no regrets.
0: And San Jose State, uh, by the way, earning its way into the NCAA tournament, winning on penalty kicks and uh, claiming the uh, Mountain West championship. So they've certainly earned their way um, into this tournament. I got to ask you this. Uh, Take me back to that night at then Avaya Stadium down in San Jose, 2019 Stanford versus North Carolina National Championship on the line and secured by the Cardinal. Your third national title. What do you remember from that night?
3: Oh, well, honestly, it was really surreal for me because I think as a coach, you know, we would won a couple national championships. Um, and I always thought to myself after we win, I wish all of our family and friends could be here to share this great moment and to be at San Jose down at the Vaya Stadium with so many of our fans down there. Um, It was really just a special moment for all of us involved that we were able to win. And the crowd got behind us um, to be playing the storied program of North Carolina, the the top program for so many years, won so many national championships. And then to go to penalty kicks and have the crowd behind us, um, the amazing saves Katie Meyer made, um, Kiki Pickett scoring the winning PK, um, just an amazing night and just felt so good to be able to win that championship and then just go home to family and friends and celebrate and not be getting on a flight and going across the country or just having the team and not all of our outside friends and family. So it was a really special evening and um, something we'll never forget and definitely a highlight of my career.
0: Yeah, I've been around Stanford Athletics for 30 years and that is quite easily one of the coolest nights and one of the coolest things um, that, that I've ever seen. It was really awesome. All right, let's wrap it up on this. Who you got
3: in the World Cup? Ooh, let's see. Um, Ooh, I have to do so. I haven't had time because we're in season. I haven't had time to research yet. So I should be doing my research on this. Um, Obviously, I would like to see the United States do really well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it would be a big boost to U.S. soccer. So I hope they have a good campaign. Um, But yeah, I'm not sure if I can go with one team. Uh, I'm originally from England, so I'm always a supporter of England as well. Um, but we're going to have to see who, who emerges. I think it's going to be a wide open world cup. I really do. I think it's going to be really, um, interesting to see who emerges as the top teams. So yeah, I I wish I could say I had one team, but I don't.
0: (laughs) Should be intriguing. And, uh, hopefully, obviously you don't have a chance to do any research at all because I already have it in my calendar.
3: Yeah. I already have it in my calendar when the world cup starts and all the games that I want to watch. So I'm hoping I'm a little busy for the first yeah. couple, but yeah. uh, after that, I'm sure my calendar will open up and then I can really uh, enjoy the World Cup because it is different having it in the winter. It's going to be really <laughs> interesting to, to spend more time watching. It's going to be fun.
0: Yeah. Well, we always know when the NCAA Women's Soccer Tournament is. It begins in mid-November and it runs through December and it begins this weekend for Stanford. Their road starts at home as they host the San Jose State Spartans at and That's a 7 p.m. kickoff on friday paul always appreciate the time always enjoy catching up with you can't wait until our next chance to cross paths uh best of luck best of health to the squad and go get him in the nca tournament thanks a bunch always appreciate the time
3: thanks troy great chatting with you take care
0: that's paul radcliffe i always enjoy uh catching up with him and uh yeah world cup starts in what a couple weeks <laughs> kind of feels weird to be saying that in november but uh but here we are and uh course we don't have to wait a couple weeks for the ncaa women's soccer tournament as it begins for the cardinal on friday and i believe i misspoke during the course of that interview uh when i said that stanford's a six seed they are not stanford is a three seed um, in the tournament this year so if the chalk holds they'd host six seed byu in the second round, so uh, I I'm, I spoke there. Check your brackets for the, uh, for the for the correct seating, and you will find that Stanford is actually a three seed. But uh, Cardinal back in the uh, back in the bracket, uh, they were not in the bracket in the 2020 campaign in the spring of 2021, uh, but got back there last year. Didn't get out of the first round. Looking for a much much deeper run and perhaps another College Cup appearance by the end of it all. Interesting that. Penn State, a team that Stanford beat early in the season. I was there. I called that match for the Pac-12 Network. Stanford's a two, uh, Penn State's a two-seed and Stanford's a three-seed. Hmm, that's a bit interesting. Oh, well, Stanford has been able to conquer interesting seeding before and uh, make d- deep runs and uh, do big things. And, uh, look, if you haven't checked out a Stanford women's soccer game, I highly suggest it. So much fun, fantastic product, great sport, great team, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, they, 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 they sell out uh, many of their matches throughout the course of the year, and rightfully so. It's a show, man. It, it's a lot of fun, and it's been my, my, my pleasure to uh, call uh, Pac-12 Women's Soccer Games on the Pac-12 Network since 2015. Uh, so a lot of fun uh, doing that, and uh, Stanford, of course, is a big reason why that product up and down the conference is so good. Five teams representing the Pac-12 in the NCAA tournament this year, as a matter of fact, besides Stanford, who, of course, is the Pac-12 champion. uh, UCLA, the number one team in the country for nine weeks in a row. Uh, USC, they had a pretty darn good season as well. Arizona State, wow, what a great season for them. That's a good story. And Cal As well, the Bears will host uh, Santa Clara. Actually, check that they'll play at Santa Clara um, on Saturday. So best of luck to all the Pac-12 teams in the women's soccer tournament. And, of course, we wish Stanford the best luck of all. That should be fun watching that team make a big run once again this year. Back to football in just a moment. We'll break down Stanford's upcoming trip to Utah with help from Cardinal linebacker's coach, Eric Sanders. But first, this. The tree cast continues as we turn our attention fully now to Stanford football versus Utah. Stanford 3-6 on the season. Their margin for error for bowl eligibility is gone. They need to win their final three games against Utah this week, Cal next week, and then BYU to close it out. But step one is facing a Utah team that is, has played quite well for much of the season, as they were picked to win the Pac-12 uh, at the beginning of the season. One of my votes, that was actually one of my votes too. I, I thought Utah would, would would win the Pac-12. Um, that's you know, it's going to be a tough road for them to get over the hump. They are 7-2, and two, but they're still very much in the mix for a potential appearance in the Pac-12 championship game. Don't forget, division's a thing of the past. It's the top two teams that advance uh, to the uh, Pac-12 championship football game uh, down in Las Vegas in the first weekend in December. But Utah still, still very much in the mix for that. They are 5-1 and one in Pac-12 play, and a very, very dangerous team overall. As mentioned last year, Utah pretty much did whatever it wanted against Stanford. Went out to a 38-0 halftime lead on route to a 52-7 overall win. And Stanford goes into this week a little shorthanded, it seems, with the statuses of Ricky Miazon, Lavani Mooney, and Jacob Mangum-Farrar in question for this week. Oh, by the way, those just happen to be the three normal starting linebackers for the Cardinal. So what happens when all of your starters are on the shelf? How do you get the next set of guys ready? And what do we need to know about the other guys who are appearing in linebacker roles for the Cardinals? Certainly for this week, and we'll see how things go uh, for the final two weeks of the season after this. Well, on Wednesday, after a chilly, chilly practice session, I caught up with Cardinal linebackers coach Eric Sanders, his third year on the farm, and our first chance to chat with him here on the tree cast. And the first thing that I asked him, given the personnel situation and everything else that has gone into preparing for this week,
4: I asked him, "Hey, coach, how's your week been? My week's been great. I coach football for a living. <laughs> I, and I coach a great group of kids. So um, you know, I know you're making reference to. Uh, A few of those guys getting banged up, which is the worst part of football, but it is a part of football. Um, But it's something that we're really prepared for this season, kind of a unique scenario that we have six fourth- or fifth-year seniors in our room. It hasn't been like that since I've been here. Um, But that was literally the second thing we talked about in fall camp was we're going to have guys who are prepared, and able to play good football for us who weren't going to get on the field. And Jason Call and Spencer Jorgensen did a great job of staying ready. And when their opportunity came up, they went in and played good football for us. So
0: Yeah, give us a more formal introduction to Jason and Spencer. We've seen Spencer
4: before. I'm not sure if we've seen Jason before last week. Give us a more formal introduction to those guys. Yeah, so uh, Spencer's number 10 and, and uh, came here as a safety and moved to linebacker in 2020 we were really low on bodies so we were kind of in the middle of training camp getting recruits and we moved Spencer from safety we moved uh Gabe Reed from outside linebacker we were we were all hands on deck there that season um Jason much the same story same same year in school was a DB uh, 6'4 200 and something pound safety and so he seemed like a natural move to linebacker also and both those guys have done a really good job of really building their bodies into linebacker bodies so now they're both high 220s and can go in there and wrestle with guards <laughs> when you talk about getting ready what are some
0: things that you have to teach in order to get guys ready for what they might need to face on saturday especially you know in a situation that potential guys could potentially be in for this week
4: sure well there are linebacker fundamentals that are just unique to the linebacker position so one of the big things is reading the triangle, and that's you know looking through the offensive line to the running back and being able to recognize blocking schemes on run plays. And so that's something that both those kids had to learn coming from DB, <clears throat> they had much more experience looking at a receiver. And so they had to build reps the past couple years, not just learning the defense from the linebacker perspective, but being able to stand at five yards from the ball instead of 10 and react to those blocking schemes. and. I mean, they've done a terrific job doing that. And they're, they're just uniquely excellent self-starters, hard workers, very smart kids. And so I mean, they're, they were able to execute when their number was called last week. Overall, how would you
0: sum up the uh, season to this point for the linebacking crew?
4: Um, well, I think we would like <clears throat> to have more victories, obviously. And the linebackers feel as responsible as anybody for that. Um, but they have really continued to work hard and that is by far the most important thing that I try to impress upon them as their coach is hey this is not just a football thing it's a life thing we're going to be hard workers it's going to become a habit for us and that's going to carry us through all kinds of difficult situations whether it's four defensive starters get hurt in the first drive or your baby's crying at 3 a.m right that's just life so they've never blinked that way and that I've loved coaching them for that reason
0: defense when it's been its, its best overall uh especially during the the, the back-to-back wins in particular against uh, Notre Dame and Arizona State uh the defensive line is matured the secondary was getting into the act and we saw some big plays from uh from the linebackers even in coverage um as well when this defense was at its best earlier this year what was it doing right and what sort of things need to go right again uh, for Stanford to turn it around defensively for the next few weeks
4: it's uh, you know, it's interesting because it's a fine line between, Hey man, we stopped him and Oh, or that wasn't a great play, but they gained four yards or down the field, just not quite there. And so I think people fail to realize this. Yeah. You're on a razor's edge there in terms of playing good football or, um, not good enough. So I think, Ultimately, we're very close, continue to be very close to to doing what we did against Notre Dame and Arizona State. Just making the right calls on time, loud, clear communication, seeing the right thing, reading the right thing, recognizing what to do, playing hard, running to the ball.
0: One guy who we could be seeing a bit more of, we've seen him throughout the last couple of seasons or so, is Tristan Sinclair. Mm-hmm. And he seems to me, to my eye, to be perhaps the most athletic of the linebacking bunch. Uh, accurate assessment? And what sort of things the, the, uh, pop out on the tape to him when you watch him?
4: Yeah. yeah, Tristan's very athletic. Maybe the most athletic linebacker I've coached. And we have several good athletes at the linebacker position, but uh, Tristan is uh, has great speed. To the point where he needs to slow himself down at times, and he's been—he's uh, also really smart, maybe as smart as a guy as I've coached. He's got those two uh, traits in spades, and uh, so we've been able to use him uh, almost like a uh, another DB in coverage this season. And so we get him in the game in passing situations, and you know he was in the game in the two-minute drive against Arizona State, and you know while he wasn't a starter for that game, he was a starter for that situation for that game, and the guys knew it. He knew it when it was time to go out there. Didn't even have to tell him. He knew that's his time to shine and played great for us. Now he has an increased role just because there are other guys who might not be available, but uh, he'll know what to do in those situations too.
0: Let's talk about the Utah Utes dangerous club. They're pretty shorthanded in some key spots, but still that's, gonna, that, that's a tough, tall task to go into Utah and, and to pull that win for anybody. That's a tough place to go and win on the road. What are some things that pop out at you when you watch the tape of the Utah offense?
4: They're a physical running team. They're, and they have a, uh, a good pass game to go with it. They're, they're balanced for sure, but what pops off the film is they have a couple big, strong running backs and their O-line comes off the ball tries to knock you backwards so we're gonna have to um take the fight back to him you know in the run game
0: do you use last year's matchup with utah as any sort of fuel at all for this year's matchup or is it something just throw away Hmm. completely just throw away throw out of the books
4: um you know we haven't talked about it a bunch for sure the guys remember the guys who played in that game remember what it was like and what it felt like and that was it was a a disappointing game yeah Um, but this is a different team and slightly different defense and they're a different team and slightly different on offense and you know it's a new challenge so um, we've been more focused on who we are at this point in this season and what they are at this point in this season and what that task looks like
0: as we wrap this up, your big keys for this week against the Utah Utes. What are the things that's going to have to happen, not just defensively, but overall for Stanford to, you know, they've had the happy flight home back from South Bend. I'm sure that was cool. What will it take to get another happy flight home, this time from Salt Lake this week?
4: Well, <clears throat> um, win the turnover-takeaway battle. You know, on defense, we try to use the action verb take away. And so – that's something that we really need to do our part on defense to, to go get the ball, right? We try to, hey, you got to get off your block, you got to sprint to the football, go stop the guy with the ball, and as he's falling, try to take the ball away from him. And if we can do that two or three times in this game and win the turnover battle, those are game changing plays. That, that would go a long way. We, we won the turnover battle against uh, Notre Dame, made a big difference.
0: Yep, it was quiet at, the, at Notre Dame Stadium at the end of that one. Would love to see it quiet at Rice Eccles at the end of this one. Coach, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck this week and for the remainder of this season. And we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, Troy. Appreciate the time from Eric Sanders, who uh, on Tuesday, I was told, had pretty much lost his voice. <laughs> we weren't even sure if we were going to be able to, uh, uh, to do this chat, but uh, he rallied Wednesday morning. His voice was back in full form. And he was using it uh, during practice on uh, on Wednesday evening, and uh, you know he's been he's been working extra hard this week. But you know, hey, he's he's keeping an optimistic uh, outlook on things. Reintroducing us to Spencer Jorgensen, introducing us to Jason Call, who we saw a, m- a lot of uh, throughout the course of the Washington State game. And again, as I say this, we do not know the statuses completely uh, for uh, Ricky Miazon. Uh, Lavani Dimuni and Jacob Mangum Farrar against uh, the Utah Utes this Saturday. We'll see, and 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 certainly that's going to be a big, big key as the Cardinal try to settle some things down and stop the run against a Utah team that that's arguably what they do best. I mean, not just Cam Rising, their fantastic quarterback um, who can hurt you with his legs and his arm as well, but just that physical, physical pounding running game and. As we do a little bit of a deeper dive on the Utah Utes here, admittedly to me, what stands out to them most, or stands out about them most, is their tight ends. That being said, Brent Quethy, their fantastic tight end, lost for the season earlier this year. Dalton Kincaid, who I thought was every bit as good as Quethy, even before Quethy took over as the unquestioned starter, Quethy a bit dinged up as well. He did not play in utah's win last week over arizona and some questions the last time i checked about his availability against stanford this time around to me overall offensively for utah it's their tight ends who have helped stand out but in defending those guys david shaw realizes that it's it's
2: really the whole package they can throw at you well when you watch them play it all starts up front um they're very big they're very good up front um and then goes to Cam Rising, whether he's 100% or 80% or whatever it is. Um, he's he's a spark plug of that spark plug of that team. Um, scrambles when he needs to, uh, pushes up in the pocket will make the throw down the field. Uh, has the confidence to throw the ball early and put it in tight windows. Um, so that's that's where it starts, up front with the quarterback. And uh, they, they've just got a long line of guys, uh, big, long guys that can play tight end. Um, they know how to use them. Um, in the the play action game, in the movement game, uh, as blockers, um, and then trying to get them isolated on 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 one on one opportunities. So, um, yeah, it's 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 still defending the whole package because you know you can't worry too much about the passing game at the very beginning because you have to stop the run, um, especially after last week. That's one thing we got to focus on.
0: Yeah, I mean Cam Rising can make the plays with his feet and do all sorts of things that you need your quarterback to do if you want him to help you win ball games. Doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes, makes a lot of chain-moving plays, and tends to get the Utah Utes into the end zone more often than not. So Cam Rising, quite dangerous. But, man, it's that rushing attack that really, really helps make it go. So that's going to be task number one for Stanford defensively. Offensively, it's going to be finding ways, once again, to – You know, do the same things that we've talked about. And you've heard, you know, you heard Eric Sanders talk about them, certainly the turnover margin, uh, get turnovers defensively. But, you know, the offense has to have a hand in that as well. No turnovers for the Stanford offense. That would be a great place to start for the Cardinal this week as uh, the turnover bug uh, certainly returned with a vengeance against uh, Washington State for the Cardinal last week. So can the Cardinal be turnover-free can they get six points instead of three? Hey, that rhymes. I didn't even mean to <laughs> mean to do that. And can it control the ball as best as it possibly can with the help of its actual playmakers? You remember when David Shaw was talking in the postgame after the Washington State game, he said, look, I was not very happy. Our best offensive players are not making plays. To me, that means the wide receivers, who, yeah, they've been up and down. Throughout much of the season, we've talked about this at different points throughout the season. So, Tanner McKee needs to make big throws. His receivers need to catch those big throws. The line needs to protect. And who knows, maybe a, a, a nice gain on the ground via Mitch Lieber or Ashton Daniels. If he plays, uh, you know, a traditional running back or if he is the quarterback in a, in, in a running package that we've seen him do for much of the season. Can Stanford do those things and put them together to win and get a big win against the Utah Utes? We'll see. We'll see. And and look, it would also be nice to win the field position battle, too. I thought that was something hidden that really went against Stanford against the Cougs last week. Ryan Sanborn struggled a bit. His first couple punts were not very good at all. Meanwhile, Stanford started four drives at or inside their own 10-yard line. This offense can't, hasn't really shown a consistent ability to, to drive the ball that length down the field and get touchdowns anyway. So winning the battle of field position, I think, would also go a long way towards a positive result for Stanford in Salt Lake City. Tall task? Yes. Impossible task? No. We'll see. We'll see how it all turns out. 7 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Mountain. Stanford versus Utah. Cardinal need to keep winning, need to start winning again and keep winning if they would like to be eligible for a ball after this regular season is done. As always, I welcome your thoughts on the show, on Stanford Athletics, on Stanford football. The best way to have your thoughts seen by me is to do so via Twitter with the hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to help ensure that I see what you've got going. A programming note. We normally come at you twice a week during the football season. Uh, We will not have a review episode of this week's game. I will be in Iowa this weekend on the uh, national radio play-by-play call for Compass Media Network coverage of Wisconsin versus Iowa. This should, That should be intriguing. <laughs> Big Ten football. It's going to be cold, like temperatures in the 20s probably for game time. Two head-knocking teams. Um, And two teams that haven't had years that they've wanted to, but they could still end up in Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game if all the cards fall in their direction. So that should be pretty compelling. Looking forward to being on the call for that. That means that I will probably not see the game on Saturday night live. That means I will probably not be able to watch the game until maybe I get home Sunday night. Maybe. I don't know. More likely is on Monday. And by that point, David Shaw has his weekly press conference on Tuesday. So we'll just wait until next week to bring you the next episode of the TreeCast. And we will do it up big because next week is big game week. Boy, that came around fast, didn't it? So we'll talk to you next week. Our special guests, big time thanks to them. Cardinal linebackers coach Eric Sanders. Enjoyed catching up with him. And Stanford oh, Stanford women's soccer coach Paul Ratcliffe. Two coaches on one podcast. How about that? A little coach's corner on this episode of The Tree Cast. Special thanks to them. Special thanks to you, most of all, for joining us and checking us out on the show. Don't drink and drive if you do. You're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. And go Stanford. And we will talk to you middle of next week. Thanks for being with us on the Treecast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network, and presented by Bet Online.